Welcome. I am Anders Bolling, and this is Mind the Shift. In this episode, we will explore our perceptions of reality and our connection to nature around us, a connection that we easily forget about in this modern world. My guest today is Carl Moore. He has a PhD in physics and has specialized in developing optical instruments to measure the interaction of light and water and has worked on projects at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at the University of California. He's also a licensed homeopath and he has recently written a book called Nature's Twist, Water and the Spirals of Life. His passion is understanding nature, health, and the human potential. Carl is also a friend of mine from the podcast community. He has a podcast called Made in Nature. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you very much, Anders. Uh, delighted to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your personal background. You, are, you live in Ireland now, but, but you have a background from, uh, in America, haven't you? Yeah. Um, well, I was born in the States. And uh, I moved over to Ireland when I was about 10, went through school, went back to the States when I was 23, 24. Uh, I worked uh, in Hughes Aircraft Company, um, working on um, military sensors. I did that for about four years, came back to Ireland. Um, I did a PhD in um, building spectrometers, light systems to go in the water. Uh, after that, I went back to the States. I was in Miami, did a postdoc there, and then I, I was back in California again for about a decade. <clears throat> um, we're at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Um, so that was, that was really great. So I had a, a, a career um, right up until uh, Scripps. I came back to Ireland during the Celtic Tiger and... Um, uh, things were a little bit more difficult here, despite the fact that it was a Celtic tiger. Um, yeah. So I ended up, um, as something that had been on my mind and I had a bit of money, I decided to uh, study homeopathy because uh, it was... Um, did you do that on Ireland? or? I, I did that in Ireland here. I did a four-year course. So I did it as a practitioner, uh, but I was also quite curious... Um, because all the physicists were saying it can't possibly be work. It's too highly diluted. There's nothing in it. You're crazy. Yeah, I know. So that just got me that. going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I say, well, you know, there's so many people in India, uh, you know, 10,000 students graduate a year in homeopathy. Homeopathy is used with conventional medicine. Uh, it's dovetailed in. Uh, also also in Germany, it's, it's, it's bigger than in many other countries in Europe. I don't know. Yeah. For some reason, Germany is, in Germany, it's big. It must be because that's where the, the, probably the founder uh, of homeopathy came from. Oh, yeah, that's uh, true. Samuel Hahnemann. But he had to move around quite a bit, too, because he was, uh, uh, well, he had difficulties because he was making his own medicines, which was putting the pharmaceutical guys even back then out of business. Uh, and that was one of the things that interested me in homeopathy. I know we're talking about my career and now we're going to water into homeopathy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's one of the things is, is uh, uh, water has this incredible ability, um, which is quite perplexing to people because for a long time it's just been considered a simple water molecule. But um, 
it has so your interest your interest into, into this was uh, was um, uh, uh, your interest came when you were working with these things in in, in California at that university institution no or? no 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 it was it, it, so yeah but you did what you did work with water and light the interaction of water and light so uh, you had yeah. some insights into the the properties of water already at that time Absolutely, Anders. Yeah, um, and there wasn't. I wasn't studying anything in homeopathy. The, the the two things were separate. Although I had a fascination with water and light, let's say, um, uh, and so I was building instruments and I was looking at computers and and that was really great. Uh, we were measuring things like the chlorophyll, uh, the color of uh, of the ocean water to tell what was in it, to calibrate satellites and stuff. So it was different from the homeopathic side, but. The homeopathy, what attracted me was was the fact that there wasn't um, this big question mark as regards the science, but knowing that it worked, um, it, it also was very empowering because you could make medicines out of anything, uh, so long as you had them in water, you had water, a little bit of alcohol, a glass vial, and a strong arm to uh, uh, give it impact shakes, which is critical for the to potentize it. But that whole thing became quite fascinating. Excuse me. <clears throat> so um, having been a practitioner and having seen it worked and having seen it worked on my family and stuff, um, you know, I know it works. I then went to the water conference in Bulgaria once. It was an ongoing, uh, I don't think they've had one this year, but it's a big convention called the Water Conference on Physics, Biology and Chemistry. And there's Nobel Prize winners there, such as Luc Montagne. Uh, but when you go there, it's not, you're not standing saying, oh, does homeopathy work? Does it? Does it? Th yes, no. It's a given. Of course it works. Uh, these people are doing some amazing scientists. So you get this league of scientists who are dealing with energy and dealing with all these other levels of, in which water works within the body and how it's connected to nature. Um, that that was that was a real surprise. So, yeah. who is it that does not understand or does not want to believe this? Is quite interesting, and it usually seems to be people with a little bit of information, uh, uh, and and they believe everything is matter, everything is molecules, substance. And this is this is okay, but we've, we've come a long way in science, and this also blends back into the theme of my podcast: is that we're all connected; we're not separate. Um, so we have this connection. Uh, Both so you, your book, and and your podcast have nature in their names, so um, that's telling. I mean, you mean that there is a profound physical and energetic connection between human beings and and nature. I understand so. Um, and the, the belief that the, we are separated is deeply false in your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And where does that come from? Um, when did it come? Uh, but the idea, cause I used to, I used to think for a while, yeah, there's too many people. We're a cancer. Look at what we're doing to the environment, um, et cetera, et cetera. But then you read that there's enough food and resources on the planet to, you know, hold uh, 10 times, maybe 100 times more people. It's not the problem that the earth doesn't produce enough. There's something else. Um, yeah. and, and so where does that thinking come from? I mean, if you look at it, <clears throat> um, if we've been with nature all the time. We've evolved with it. Our biology has, has, has integrated 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, it's even our mitochondria in, 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 our, in our cells. They have symbiosed. They used to, I can't remember the, the exact details, um, but it, that was a symbiosis of one organism infiltrating another. And then yeah. it, it, they decided to work together where one would produce the energy, the other one would, would gather the food as it were. And so, but our whole system is made up of these symbiotic relationships. Our immune system is viruses and bacteria. Uh, when you think about that, it becomes quite profound in, in what we're subjected to today as regards this uh, particular virus that's taken hold of the world. Mm. Um, of course, viruses can take us down and make us ill. Um, but the fact that this one has been so difficult uh, to deal with, it, it has so many question marks on it. Um, it becomes quite, uh, quite a curious matter. For example, I know that with tuberculosis, it has about the same number of what is it, fatalities, 1.5 million a year, which is, seems to be on par with the COVID-19. And yet... Uh, well, it's still, still not up on the, those levels. I think it's uh, less than a million fatalities yeah. so far. But it hasn't been going on for a year. So you might be right, yeah. Well, I was extrapolating, actually. So I think yeah. it's about 600, 700,000 have died from covid and we're about six months in, double that, yeah. and we're up around. Yeah, you're right. So that's where I was you're coming right. from. <clears throat> um, so, but there's, we're, we're not being forced to wear masks for tuberculosis. Uh, you know, so there's, there's, there's lots of questions about it. And, and, and I know there's, there's so many, there are so many I, theories, I know. <laughs> so much discussion about it. So. Well, it's, I, which is very interesting. Uh, I, I'll, I'll try to uh, scoot around it, but it's just the idea that um, mm. when they report 50 to 80 times more people had it than they thought had it, uh, and they don't show any symptoms, then the question, yeah. the science should be focusing, why? What's different about these people? Is and some are, system? some scientists are actually. Yeah, of course they are. Of course they this. Are. So yeah. it's, it's, it's not just one narrative, but there is a main narrative, of course, and... Uh, and there are thousands of others. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was, I was talking, the main narrative. And, of course, there's lots of great scientists uh, out there doing good work. Uh, but, unfortunately, the voices aren't getting out there. Um, but, anyway, getting back, our body is viruses and bacteria. Our immune system is. So, we know how to deal with these things uh, at another level. I suppose I'd like to think that our, our immune system, if it's educated, it will be able to deal with this. Uh, we produce antibodies for anything. We have these little slits in the back of our tonsils that sample uh, everything that comes in, analyzes it, and then produces uh, an antibody if it needs to. Uh, so this is where the body is continually learning about its environment, and it needs the stimulation to keep the immune system strong. Um, and of course, when, we, when we're isolated, uh, we're cutting ourselves off from nature, that our immune systems aren't getting stimulated. So you can see there's a whole negative side to actually avoiding these things. Uh, because at another level, there's an argument, if it's, if it's a virus and it's this contagious, there's nothing, we can't really stop it. And there's lots of, there's lots of science out there to show that the masks do very little. Yeah, it's reasonable that they stop a sneeze coming out, the big droplets, mm. but 
it's the the air, the, the 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 viruses are smaller than a, a wavelength of light. Hmm. Uh, and they're going to travel right. I know, through. I know. Yeah, we, yeah. We, and, uh, I don't want to get but, in, uh, into that. No, but uh, it's also logical to to re to see that if you wear a mask for hours on end, you will probably not get as much oxygen as, as you need because I mean you, you keep inhaling your own carbon dioxide all the time, which is it can't be really that good. So um, well, there's that, and if you have any illness. Uh, you may be amplifying viruses because you're breathing them back in again. You're incubating mm. them. Mm. Uh, so there's many arguments. Another one I heard is is um, is some of the masks that they use in hospitals. Uh, you know, surgery. Well, that's a highly sterile sterile environment to begin with, and mm. the doctors wear these masks that that seal around the face. I think like the N95 mask. It's got a very good pore size. Yeah. But their environment is supplemented with a positive pressure to overcome, you know, the resistance to breathing in. There's a positive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's supplemented with oxygen. Yeah. So, you know, which mask is appropriate for people to use? Uh, and, and it seems that doctors are not qualified for this. It's because you need a special PPE certification. There's, there's quite a lot to wearing a mask to make sure that the person is wearing it for a period of time does not get sick, does not trigger some illness in them. Yeah. So not yeah, any I think also the, the re reactions to this, to this pandemic is the most interesting feature because, as you say, we've had viruses f always, and, and there are millions of viruses out there all the time, and uh, there is nothing... In some ways, there's nothing in particular with this virus, virus uh, apart from the fact that it's, uh, it hasn't never, never been seen before. But I mean, there are so many out there. And the, so the, the reaction, the, the world's reaction to this is, is the most interesting oh, thing yeah. that is happening. Uh, yeah. The illness itself is, is, is not particularly uh, fascinating, really. Well, that's, that's, that's uh, in my comparison to, 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 the whole, to the whole scheme of things going on out there. Yeah, yeah. And this goes back to the way ideas are carried in society. And I'm fascinated about, you know, for years, uh, now this is revealing some of my own bias here, but I think uh, another one that didn't quite stick was the climate change fiasco. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't need to go into that, the hockey stick, I might get sued. <laughs> uh, <talking about> <laughs> okay, um, I know what you're talking about, and yeah, yeah I, I kind of find that fascinating too. And I, I have, I'm, I'm not a I'm hardcore skeptic, but I, uh, I, I know there's there's a lot of exaggerations out there. Yeah, it, it's just it to me. It seems like uh, we don't hear about climate change at all anymore. And it's no, because like, of this. Yeah, it's like yeah. there's only one one uh, disaster narrative going on at the time. Yeah, we, 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 and, and it seems like with the lack of air, aircraft in the skies uh, and the pollution and the, uh, the contrails that they produce, will be, that affects the reflectivity of the Earth. If you have all these artificial clouds in the sky, mm. it's going to affect. It should. Uh, yeah, but that's, uh, that's it's a small. That only make, it's a small, small effect, a few percent of the whole... Yeah, or, or even or even smaller than that. But smaller than that. Yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine there'd be a lot of great data for scientists to use because now sure. you get one day there is all this stuff and now there isn't. Natural experiments. 
going on. Yeah, I would I would expect some great data to say, hey, look, it's a climate climate change problems reversing now that we're not doing this, that, or the other. But you don't hear you don't hear a thing. And no. so some, sometimes I think that well, the climate change thing didn't really stick to kind of change society, but the COVID one has been um, hijacked. I'm not saying there isn't anything out there, there isn't anything <laughs> real, or there might be multiple types or anything like that. But I know um, my gut feeling is that the information has been used in, in a way. Well, like, mm-hmm. for example, uh, in our country here, uh, in, in, they decided to, because there's this pandemic and people are, are out of work and they're getting payments, uh, there's lots of unknowns. Uh, the hospitals were being filled up, um, a lot of worry and concern. So what our government did is uh, they decided uh, as a best solution, or one of the solutions was to put in bicycle lanes. Mm. Mm. So they would never have got bicycle lanes in had there not been an emergency mm. uh, kind of orders being allowed to be issued. But bicycle lanes have very little to do with a, a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I wonder if, so the COVID-19 is being used to do things the politicians wouldn't It's true, make. and it, go, it go, goes both ways, I think. Some are, some are scared that this is some kind of a conspiracy from, from forces, dark forces above of us, above us that are ruling things that we don't see. I don't buy into that myself, but I know some people are talking about that. But on the other hand, you could also maybe conceive it as, perceive it as uh, some kind of, uh, what do I know, the universe uh, uh, wanting humankind to, to, to make changes at this time in history where it's appropriate that we do that. We, we need to change a lot of things in our systems. Anyway, we know that there, is, there are a lot of things that need to be changed and, and this is an opportunity to do that. So I don't know, I'm, I, I know as little as anyone else where this is leading, but uh, one has an inkling, a feeling that there are some big changes happening, some shifts happening because of the pandemic or just because of the time that we're in. Uh, but as you say, I mean, the bicycle lane thing is one example and the, there are others. The whole economic system is of course uh, on the table now what are we going to do with all these, this, uh, this increase in unemployment and uh, GDP plummeting in, in almost every country? Maybe that shows us that GDP isn't that important, really, because it's just a measurement. It's just a, a bunch of figures. Maybe we'll yeah. come out of realizing that, okay, we didn't really need that kind of economic system that we had. Maybe we need something else. So, I mean, there, there might be some really good things coming out of this and some bad things. Who knows? It's just extremely interesting what's happening. I, I was, you know, after our little conversation off, offline, it, uh, I was thinking further on the idea that this is a very unique time and, and, it's almost because we have so much information and I was, I was saying we have so much information we don't see it, whereas in all other times we had too little information. Yeah. But now we have so much information that we could go through and we can cherry pick any yeah. opinion or viewpoint to back up our, our perspective, our, our agenda, whatever. And there's a danger in seeing all the bad and then you get very negative. But you could also go through and pick out 
uh, all the good things. Like, for example, if you have 5G and it's, it's coming with this microwave and there's bad frequencies and all this, the other side of it is uh, you don't get people poaching elephants anymore. Hmm. You know, because they can be tracked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, sure, sure. I mean, you, you choose your reality. I think everyone yeah, yeah. has the possibility of choosing their reality. And as you say, we have so much information now that it's, it's probably easier than, than at any other point in history for humanity to, for human beings to choose different realities. Because as you say, the information is too massive anyway. It's too, you can't fathom it. No, we can't, and the leaders of nations can't. They're just human beings like you and me. They, can, they don't have a clue. We're all mm. stuck in the same point in the continuous now that we are living in. And nobody has a clue what's going to happen in two minutes. President Trump doesn't know it. Terrorist planning an attack in Syria doesn't know it. I don't know it. So we're all, we have all the same choice, so to speak. We can, we can just choose. Some say it's naive. You have to see all the problems that's happening in the world. But well, of course, you, it's a good thing to know, to be informed what's happening around you. But you can, you can still choose not to walk down that path because what you what you send out you also get back i think that's kind of well, how it works absolutely and, and as you, you you were saying that there's so much information that it's it's hard to navigate uh and know what's real and i was thinking there that this whole these times with what's going on may be forcing us to navigate such realms of information by the harsh and not through the intellect mm. because the intellect are arguments and they're all valid arguments and they're all can argue each way and they can cancel each other. But at the end of the day, uh, what we are is, is we make our ultimate judgments through our harsh, I think the important ones. And so, well, this is, this is where we get to our true natures is when we open yeah. that access to harsh. So maybe all this is instead of getting lost in the details to see it as a time of transformation and that it's pushing us uh, uh, to make ourselves uh, better in the sense of more spiritual and realizing who we are. Because for me, anyway, up until the COVID-19 thing, it was like, yeah, I got time. I'll do this. No, no, that, that. The yeah. But then when it happens, you have to, shit, I don't have time. Am I on the fence or am I on the other side? Where am I? And you have to, it's a time of decision making. Um, and, I think it is. Yeah. I think the only way you can do that at this time, because it's like almost like the information is made to be confusing. Uh, and so, you know, the argument with the masks, just quickly, uh, uh, they weren't invented this year. Masks have been around a long time for the yeah. prevention of contagion. It's well-researched. They know about it. Yeah. But the way the media are treating it, it's like it's the newest thing, which, what, when, how far. Yeah. And so it's almost everything is confusing. I even call this the age of, of no resolution because we <laughs> now have wars and we don't even say we're going to war. Mm. Uh, so there's this, we're being placed there's, in these, It's the same thing every time some big uh, disaster or something that is perceived as a disaster happens. Uh, I was talking the other day, yesterday actually, with a very interesting uh, expert on migration. And we were talking about this, this uh, flow of um, 
refugees that arrived in Europe in 2015 and 16. And we hardly even remember that now because things happen so fast. We've had two or three crises since then, but then it, that was a really pivotal moment in European political history. And there were so many new decisions made. And, and the, the same thing happened at that time that the media mm -hmm. was depicting this as something completely new and, oh, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to cooperate? Are we going to close the, the borders or not? Or um, can we handle it? What laws do, do we have to change? And I mean, not even the, not only the media, but the, all the, the decision makers and everyone acted as if this was something completely new. It wasn't. There have yeah. always been waves of, and migration has been a human feature since the beginning of, of history. So it's the same thing now. I think that the, the main difference is that it's, time is spinning faster. It's, it's hap things are happening faster and faster and faster all the time. And that, that's of, of course a reflection of the amount of information that we have and the communication revolution and that we are integrating the whole world uh, knows. I mean, we know in real time what's happening on the other side of the planet all the time. So that's the difference. But, but the reactions are, are fairly similar. Well, it's interesting you say that, you know, we can contact with, uh, you know, people anywhere in the world now, and it's real easy. But um, uh, you hear stories of, um, I don't want to use a, a, an incorrect word, um, uh, indigenous people. Yes. <clears throat> like the Kogi Indians in Venezuela. They live up on the mountain. I forget the name of it. And um, excuse me. <clears throat> and oh, you mean you mean the the uh, Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta in Colombia? That's the one. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, I, I make it sound like you're up it. <laughs> I've been I've been close. I, I I never walked up on the the actual mountain, but I I was on the coast. Ah, okay. Excellent, excellent. That's in Colombia, yeah. actually. Is it Columbia? Okay, yeah. okay. It's been a while. It's been 30 years since I read the book. <laughs> um, so I got Kogi Indian, right? Um, but what they would do is, uh, as far as I remember, like they would get some of their children, select ones, and they would put them at the very top of the mountain in the kind of a room. And on the mountain, because it's so high up, they'd have different uh, crops because it would be different climates. And so at the top, they would reserve it for these special children, and they keep them in darkness for the first seven years of their life, seven years. And then they take them out and, well, they'd be over, overstimulated, I guess, but they had the chance to go in for another seven years. But uh, the idea was that these children or these people who would live like this, uh, they became so sensitive that they would be used by the tribe or the, or the people's uh, uh, to find out what was going on in the world, mm -hmm. it would be connected. Interesting. Uh, and so they knew what was going on in the world, this, the deforestation. They knew all these things because these people that they'd selected from birth were informing yeah. them of what was going on around the world. And um, so, so but like a, a natural, natural internet, so to speak. They natural internet. Ac access to the, the other realms, yeah. Exactly. And, and so this is, I call it, yeah, the natural internet. Mm -hmm. And so you have empathy you, when you prayer or intention. Intention's being shown to work around the world too. So yeah. we have this ability to connect around the world already. I mean, it's not, it's not Facebook style. Um, 
but we have so this fascinates me because we have this ability within us yeah. uh, where we're actually connected and people use it but that's being shunned throughout the ages too mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had the witch burnings, but they were healing people with uh, natural herbs yeah. um, or anything that's not done in the name of that religion. Mm-hmm. Has to, has in to the name of the crack. matrix. That's the matrix coming down, trying to control this. So in one sense, uh, humanity uh, may be becoming atrophying, forgetting mm-hmm. who we are. And we're becoming really reliant on technologies that in and of themselves are great. Mm-hmm. but it's like we don't remember that we also have these tremendous capabilities. We, you know, in a few generations, we may forget this. Um, and so one of the things about um, why is this? Is this our own laziness? Is this uh, uh, organized? Is it just because the way market forces go? Maybe it's as simple as this. And there's mm-hmm. natural correcting cycles. But that's all I, that's my main thing is is to try to remember that because you know i've been in nature i've had experiences where uh, you understand things you get a sense yeah. of knowing i was uh, going to ask about that because i mean this this talk you have about us being connected to nature it sounds quite a bit like you mentioned the kobe indians in colombia uh, it sounds a lot like uh, teachings teachings from shamans and other spiritual leaders among indigenous peoples around the world and also actually Eastern philosophies. So have you been uh, inspired by any of those? That's one question. Oh yeah. Yeah, you have? absolutely. Uh, what I find really interesting is, is the oldest, the indigenous religion seem to reflect physics best uh, with this idea of connectedness yeah. uh, and that consciousness can go and be anywhere. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's really powerful, and it's just something. So you've had people, yourself also transcend, transcendental experiences that have shown you these other realms, also. Yes, 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 and and another thing in my podcast that I didn't really accentuate, and one of the things I've been thinking about in the last week, is that um, we have everything in nature to bring us back into balance, and. Uh, one of these things that perhaps I've not talked about or I've forgotten about is the use of uh, psychedelics, natural yeah. ones. Um, these are not used as crutches. These are not fun time uh, sort of things. Um, the, in, in indigenous societies, these are approached, you know, at a certain time of year after a certain preparation with a certain state of mind and a certain belief system. And then it can be very empowering. And, you know, you've heard people talk about ayahuasca. Yeah, the DMT, I think, is the active and DMT is another one. It's in everything. So it's uh, not the same thing? Ayahuasca isn't DMT <clears throat> or is? I, it's, it's, it's different, but I know with DMT, from what I've heard, is uh, you can take it as a snuff. You okay. might have seen the, the guys in the jungle blowing it up each other's nose, and uh, they go off into another world. Maybe, maybe that's what they gave me when I was in Ecuador once, walking around in the jungle. There was, there was an Indian guy who took some, some leaves from a bush there and pressed out a, a liquid in his hand, and I got some, and I, I did that. <laughs> as you said, I sniffed it. But it um, didn't, I, did, I didn't reach any spiritual no, realms, I but I, it, felt, it felt good. It felt more like, I don't know, cannabis maybe was oh, okay. relaxed. 
Yeah, with this stuff, they go off into a completely other world for 15 minutes. Um, because DMT is in the body, our body knows how to break it down. So there's no trace after 15 minutes. So they, people talk about the same experiences, these little uh, machine elf men or something that come around. And uh, the, the commonality of experiences in, in, by taking ayahuasca or even mezcal, or each, each one has a different um, character to it almost. And so then you have psilocybin with the mushrooms. And yeah. I was just listening to... Hallucinogenic? Uh, hallus, hallus, what's the word? Yeah, 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 hallucinogenic, but they also... Um, there's some people like Terence McKenna, who's, who's passed now uh, for a while. Uh, he was a big uh, um, a pioneer in this area. And uh, he believed that uh, the magic mushroom was instrumental in man's development of his brain. Uh, because taking, because they might have grown in the savannah grasslands and we might have eaten it. It gives better acuity and vision, good for hunting. Uh, it also makes you slightly horny, which is good for reproduction. Uh, mm. So you have all those qualities. So his argument was uh, that the mushroom could sort of uh, uh, separate man out and allow him to develop his mind and his consciousness. But they also theory. do... A, 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 these things connect one and they, and they teach one that everything is connected. Um, and you know, did, did you try, did you try yourself for instance, yeah. ayahuasca? Yeah. No, never ayahuasca. Okay. Uh, it would have been the magic mushrooms. Okay. And, um, well, here, here we go. Um, yeah. So when I was in California, I used to go out to the desert for um, periods of time and in, in, in search of God, quote unquote. Um, but it was really, it was just, a, I, I found that being out in the desert in nature, uh, incredibly empowering after a few days. Uh, the first 24 hours you're going, why am I out here? What am I doing? I could be at home watching TV. Yeah. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours later, you, you're just thinking, should I make a pot of coffee now or in an hour, you know? Um, but as time goes by, you think about something, um, it was like the wind would blow. You get these confirmations or a bird would fly over. It sounds complete nuts. You can, because you, this is the Well, I have, I have experienced something to, to the effect of that. I mean, I haven't been out in the nature for that long periods of time, but I mean, for... For a day or so, I've been out without meeting anyone, just listening to the wind and the birds. So I, I can understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and what is this? And, and from an early age, uh, I, when I was thinking I was learning how to drive and I come up the mountains here in Dublin and I knew it was a beautiful scene. It might have been in the mist and the trees and the valleys. I got this is beautiful. Now let's go home. And I'm going, but if it's so beautiful, Carl, why don't you stay? Yeah. I, I found it difficult to stay. So what I decided to do was that I would outweigh myself. I would stay there, even though I didn't want to, and see what would happen. So I sat quietly for 20 minutes without moving. And when I did that, I noticed animals would come out of the forest. And all sorts of other things would happen because I had made the intention that I was going to wait. Yeah, I wasn't there saying, come on, show me what you got. I was going, no, in your time, you yeah. tell me. And, and I learned how to outweigh myself. 
And so when I go into nature now, my head might be buzzing with ideas, but I say, no, just give your, just let your body talk. Let your body do the talking with the leaves and the trees and the birds and whatever. And, and then I would start to feel really good inside because I'm out there. I might walk on my bare feet and everything. And then my mind would, would sort of go, hey, this is really good. I like this. You know, before it was like, I have to think in a certain way. Because you're now bringing up the, the, the idea. I, I wonder if a lot of people want to connect to nature, but they have no idea how to. Because that was my thing as a young. Yeah. yeah I think it's interesting the way you put it that you were there and you wanted to go, you didn't want to stay, but you also didn't, you wanted to stay, but you didn't want to. So it's like two yous, if you see what I mean. Very One good. One part yeah. of you, I think, uh, well, it sounds a little bit like many others. I don't mean many other spiritual <laughs> teachers, but many spiritual teachers have, have said this, that there is a higher self and there is an, an ego mind and all that. So one part of you, the ego mind probably tells you that, no, you, can, you don't have time to stay here in the desert anymore. You've been here for 24, 48 hours. You got to go home to do some, some important stuff or watch TV or whatever. And some other part of you, which is probably some kind of higher entity, higher part of you wants to stay. So there's a little struggle there. I think it's, you, you describe it almost as a little struggle between the two parts of you. Yeah, and that that is true because I've got to also realize that at certain points um, in my expeditions, uh, <clears throat> I'd come to the realization that everything in my life had come to that point to make that realization. And uh, it can sound a little bit uh, peculiar, but it was almost like um, it was a deeper, bigger aspect of myself had guided me the little self to this realization so I could understand the bigger self and the little self as though the father and the son almost Hmm. trying to put it in in some sort of context where the father would be everything the deeper unlimited aspect of oneself or of the earth or of the universe but for me at that moment it would be the deep the bigger deeper self Uh, maybe it's equivalent to the subconscious Maybe more. Maybe it, 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 its roots go deeper. It goes right yeah. into the cosmos. Uh, it's really the little when, part of me. Yes. Sorry. Go. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just the little part of me is the one that's being captivated by the rules and regulations, the doings of man, uh, and stuff like that. So we get into habits. It's the habit mind too, where uh, you feel that you have to be doing something, you know, some paperwork, some form some dish to wash, some lawn to mow. Um, yeah. But there's this whole other side that's greater than your life. And that's, that's, that's another thing that I discovered being in nature. These things start to separate out because you have time. Exactly. And I think that's the coolest thing that happens when you're out in nature. And it's very similar to meditating. I, I assume you maybe practice that too. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. I try. I try to do it every morning. It's uh, m- most of the time it works pretty well, but sometimes it doesn't really. But it, it's, yeah. it's. I think there is no like Joe Dispenza has said. There is no such thing as a bad meditation. You just sit there. Some days it's better. Some days it's worse. But anyway, it's about the same experience as when you're in nature for for many many hours because time kind of uh, di- disappears in a way. 
well, of course, you can see the sun rising and going down and dark and light and all that. But, but time, as you experience it in the modern life, when you sit there and pay your bills and watch TV and uh, watch your clock all the time, uh, it, 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 doesn't, it, isn't, it isn't there really. It's, you just, and, and all these everyday life things that you think are so important when you're in the middle of them, they just seem so not important. They just, uh, you, get, you get such such good perspective on it, on the whole thing. And that's healing. And that's why I think we should do this once in a while, like you are doing, go out in, in, into, the na- into nature or, or meditating or both. Uh, and of course, we can't, we can't all be eremites. We can't all be monks. I mean, like living our lives in the desert for years on, on end. Uh, well, we can, but... <laughs> Maybe that's not the point of being here, but if we do that once in a while, we will live our, our ordinary life in a much, much, I think, calmer and wiser and, uh, and more, uh, I think, more uh, astute way, actually. Yeah, I, well, that's the whole thing is, is, is um, and it goes like into my book as well, is that I talk about... Um, there's one fundamental thing in the universe and that is everything spins. Yeah. Uh, and, and when things spin, uh, you can start to see, you can start to explain things much better throughout the universe, different phenomena. That's my take on it. I, I don't want to go into that really right now, but there's certain flow patterns. Like if you have a vortex, it spirals into a point. <clears throat> And it's the idea of going right towards the center, this 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 deeper point. But there's another form. It's a, it's it's called the toroid, which is made of two spirals, or it can be. So you have a spiral that spirals into a point. It reaches a point, and then it expands outwards, and it goes around like this, okay. and then it gets sucked into the top again. It spirals to a point, and then it expands mm-hmm. outwards. It would be better if I had a blackboard, but it's that idea. Yeah. And this yeah. point is referred to, uh, lots of people refer to it as different things. Uh, I think in the, the Eastern culture, it's referred to as the Mahabindo point. I might be taking on a slightly philosophical side to that as well. It's also uh, a, a point from which everything comes. It's almost like a black hole. Some people postulate like Nassim Harriman. Mm-hmm. That I yeah, yeah. I know about him. Yeah, fascinating yeah. guy. Yes, he's postulated that at the center of every uh, fundamental particle is a black hole. Mm. And what is a black hole? A black hole is a place where time stops. So there is no time. Yeah. So there is no space. So, so at the core of hole, existence, there is no time and no space, you might say. There is no, so it, it, it's this deeper level. So the fact that you have a black hole here and a black hole here, once you're in a black hole, it's all, there is no space, there is no time. It's the same, mm. it's the same, it's the same thing. So I mm. see that when I meditate, I imagine, we also have an energy field around us too, like a toroid, and our heart is at the center of it. So when I meditate, I think of this spiral. Yeah. Uh, going to the heart, the heart, the center, the center connects to the universal field. Uh, and, and I tap into that. And as soon as I tap into it, I must express the new thing out again into this world. Uh, and I interact, but I'm continually referencing back to the heart. 
So this is yeah. a continuous cycle. It's and a so, feedback loop. I think Nassim Haramein talks about the feedback loop. So that's exactly, exactly. In a sense, what we are experience, experiencing all the time, we give back to the universe as feedback. So the universe, which is the whole of everything, learns yeah. about all these experiences and, and can, can make use of, of that next time. So it's a constant exactly. out and inflow of feedback loop. Exactly. And some people have described... Um, Ginsburg, Vladimir Ginsburg, he's described mathematically particles having certain, let's say, rotational speeds of energy. And when they exceed some, they exist in this world. And when they go below a certain threshold, uh, they don't. So there's this in and out of this, of this deeper level of reality. And we have yeah. this in quantum physics with uh, quantum fluctuations. So you have this huge, uh, it's called a vacuum field, vacuum, nothing. It's a field, but it's full of energy. Mm. And uh, at the surface, if you can imagine the surface, uh, because you're not talking three dimensions per se, but it would be like the ocean rippling, you know? So it's, it's, it's like all this potential energy wants to come out and manifest. It wants to do something. Yeah. And that's where we come in. I think where consciousness comes in uh, are, I'm not saying we're the only ones either, but we have this ability to take this potential energy and co-create. We're creating yeah. with this energy. Yeah. And I have to continually remind myself that, that we have this resource that our bodies are embedded in this, this, this matrix, this connection, mm -hmm. every aspect mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. And when we connect, that, that's that, the good. That's the good matrix that you're talking about, not the bad matrix. <laughs> this is the good matrix. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the natural matrix, and and so yeah, we have we have this resource to connect, and when we do that, we have access to so many things, not just dimen extra dimensional levels, uh, and, and that doesn't mean going off into some other fifth dimension. Another dimensional level could be just um, love. You don't see it, you don't feel it. It's, a, it's riding another mm -hmm. dimension to say your car is. Uh, an out-of-body experience, I thought they were... I realized I may have them periodically. <laughs> okay, okay. Matt, and you look at yourself, you know. Um, I mean, I was in a car accident, and I kind of came oh. out back again. But I've been in stressful situations, and that's happened too. I, I think I, what I'm trying to say is that what we think is supernatural is really natural and what we yeah. think is rare and exceptional. People have these deja vu. I think almost everyone have, has had yeah. these deja vu, deja yeah. vu uh, experiences, which are really spooky if you, but uh, until you think of them as something like you are describing now, uh, yeah, it's yeah. natural. Uh, you, you tap into some kind of different dimension for, for, for just briefly. Yeah. And yeah. it's completely natural. Yeah, and, and, and you know, um, I, I was sort of thinking that when I was in the desert too, I would, um, and sometimes I would get up and I would spontaneously kind of, no one's around, no one's looking at you. Of course, I didn't know I was going to be on a podcast today, but um, <laughs> <laughs> now it all comes out. But, uh, you know, I was moving my hands and I was almost like feeling, feeling energy. Huh. And I'm going this is this is tai chi i'm, I'm doing yeah, yeah, some yeah. rudimentary tai chi there's a basis on for yourself this yeah yeah but sometimes you get to this 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 state and and it's uh 
very intense and and uh, uh, there's instances when flies were bothering me out in the wilderness and I asked them not to and they complied. And they stopped. Mm. They landed on my fingers and watched me and uh, th- that's that beautiful. Was I, I tried it a week later and I was, I was slapped out of that same place uh, uh, because I think what happens is, is sometimes these uh, um, hallucinogenics and stuff, they're not to be approached mm. with, uh, uh, you should do it as though you're approaching God. That's the mm. way you should look at it. And mm. then they teach. And I'm only, I'm only saying this now because it's become very clear to me having listened to uh, another podcast with Aubrey Marcus, I believe Brian Rose was interviewing him and he was talking all the wonders of psilocybin and he was talking to, I think it was basketball players and stuff and, and, you know, won the NBA and, and, Mm. uh, and whoever it was was saying, well, one of the best times of my life, well, that was it, but it was also being on the beach having taken magic mushrooms with my friends (laughs) and you go, whoa, you know, but uh, so, so there's something very special about them, but they're yeah. and, and and they will not allow themselves the, these things to be used as if you use them too much, it doesn't work. They go away. Um, mm. They have a way of disappearing from your life if they're not treated properly. Too, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's like not many things. Yeah. Relationship, mm. which shows their connectedness that they're because. Um, I, I kind of made a full circle back there onto this, um, but it's the connection of nature and that indigenous people who would take these things would talk of them as entities, not just a substance or a chemical, okay. but as a, having, having a character or spirit and with that a message. Yeah. So it becomes more powerful rather than just a chemical entity that you find in the wilderness that gives you this heightened yes. sense of awareness. There's something much deeper going on. Fascinating. Talking about messages and substances that leads us perhaps uh, over to this subject that we were talking a little bit about uh, in the beginning here, or you started talking about it and I was intending to ask you more about it. And it's your fascination fascination with with, uh, the healing powers of water. And uh, that's of course central in in your work as far as I understand. and and how underestimated this power is most people know of course that water is essential for life but the knowledge of what water can do stops about there but you have learned and realized that this substance is what you describe as almost magical in its properties so can you explain to us a little bit more about the the magical properties of uh, water yeah, I, I can do that in one sentence. No, I can't. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> two sentences. Um, yeah, <laughs> two sentences. Um, well, I, I think one of the bis, uh, misnomers, if that's the correct word, is to think of water. Water has been taken as a simple molecule consisting of two, ox- uh, two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen, H2O. And in your average glass of water, you just have all these H2O molecules jostling around, and that's it. It's a simple molecule. So when biologists were examining the cell to see the contents of the cell or measure their electrical properties, 
they would desiccate it. They would dry it out to get rid of the okay. water mm-hmm. and keep the important stuff. And so they measured the cell as a kind of an insulator. But when you have water in it, and you, me- and you, and you start to a- look at it as a, as a living thing, and you measure it, it becomes a semiconductor. So hmm. this makes huge properties within the body right there. Yeah. Uh, it's also, some, some experimenters uh, have got extremely pure water, uh, really uh, like a million times more pure than a thing called millicue water, which is really, really pure. Uh, but what they did was they examined, they found that the water molecules were forming a double helix pure double helix like the dna like the dna so they're viral. they were postulating that it's the shape of the water is where dna gets its shape hmm. of course you can't have the dna shape without water and uh, so that's the argument that goes back to your theory of everything uh, spiraling also in everything the spinning and and you can also get dna that forms in a toroid like as a hoop as well which is interesting and has other properties. Um, but what's really, and this sort of goes into homeopathy, what's going on there, because as you dilute it, you're just left with water and none of the original substance, and yet it becomes more potentized. What, what's going on there? Um, so yeah. it's Let's a transfer It's been ridiculed a lot, of course, because, as you say, I mean, diluting a medicine to the point where it can't be detected anymore. How how can that be of any help? People say, and I mean, from some superficial standpoint, that's logical to to ask you that question, of course. But but you have a different story. Well, yes, this thing is this idea being stuck on matter is a big mistake, because you can get a huge healing effect without any transportation of matter or transference of it for example if you listen to music and you listen to you know music that you like and it uplifts you makes you feel good or you can listen to music that pisses you off and you want to turn it off mm-hmm. music has an effect when you listen to that music there's no molecules flying to the air of a certain type uh you know a certain chemical signature for a certain note it's no. just vibration it's just vibration it's just energy And how much energy? A really, really small amount traveling through the air, causing that ripple to have a huge effect on the body. But the body reacts because it's sensitized to that music. Because it knows it, it hears it, it's had an effect, or or it's in the audible range, all those reasons. Same with homeopathy. When you prescribe a remedy, uh, if it's not the right one, it's not resonating. You don't notice it. And so one of the things the practitioner homeopathy has to do is try to find the appropriate vibration. And he does that not looking at vibrations, but taking characteristics of the person, how they are in the world. So if you go in and you have a pen in your stomach uh, and it's been there for a while, the homeopath will ask you things about your sleep patterns. Okay. Uh, your skin, do you perspire? Are you thirsty? All these other things, as well as, of course, the thing you came in for. But yeah. it may even go in things that you like or things that annoy you. It's to get an idea of how the person is in the world, how they are perceiving their world. And then they can find a remedy, which is a vibrational, uh, uh, acts as a, a vibrational stimulant or antidote. Uh, 
if that's the correct word, but it matches it so that it stimulates that person because uh, we've described the sweet spot, sweet spot, the sensitivity of that person. So the homeo- so the remedy will work. Now I got a little, it wasn't explaining so good there towards the end, but it's like, it's like finding the right note. Uh, and that's what a homeopath does. And if they don't get it right the first time, that's still a lot of information because they know. So they, the homeopath writes the, the piece of music that this patient really likes and resonates with. Uh, the person writes the music, the homeopath finds where the note is missing. Okay. Okay. And then good analogy. Yeah. It, that'd be, that'd be kind of the idea, but getting back to the water. So what's happening in the water? Uh, if it's all H2O molecules, well, it's only until it's only recently that have scientific instruments been adequate enough or sensitive enough to show this is that the molecules, depending on the environment in which they are, will hook up, will join weak van der Waals forces. They join up and they create these new configurations containing hundreds, if not millions of water molecules in a certain way. Uh, they can form balls, spheres. They can also form coherent domains where you get millions of water molecules all oscillate at the same time in the same way. Uh, and this does things, it changes the energy state of the water. Uh, it also makes all the electrons available to power biochemical reactions. But these were not there before it they didn't think of water as being able to supply energy because you in order to get an electron from water you'd have to supply an awful lot of energy ionization energy to release that electron so they never Mm. thought water really had anything to do with energizing the biology of the body but with the new science what did they think about water did they think anything about the the just fact that 70 percent of the body was consisted of water yeah, well, yeah, there was nothing. It's just... It's like, it reminds me of the way doctors or scientists um, a couple of hundred years ago uh, just dismissed the brain as being anything else, anything other than, than some, some kind of muscle to, to, to keep the ears in place or something like that. Yeah, the yeah. brain was just, they didn't really, they kind of uh, dismissed it completely. It, it, it's a little bit like that, I think, when you describe it. They yeah, just, just the water when it, the water was actually the thing. We would throw it away, and and this is the whole thing that does these wonderful wonderful things in in, in our body. But anyway, uh, the coherent domain might be at work in the homeopathic remedy, but water does other things in really small spaces. Uh, and, uh, for example, they found, and this is Jared Pollock, the University of Washington. He's he's a great scientist. He's been forging ahead in this area. Uh, he describes it as the fourth phase of water, but that's been around for a while. Um, and it's a state which water configures itself. It's between a solid and a liquid. So it's it's a gel, and it's called easy water, which stands for exclusion zone water. And because mm-hmm. the H2O molecules join up together so tightly in an arrangement, they push any impurities out. But when they do this, and they do this near a hydrophilic surface, uh, a water-loving surface. Uh, I guess it supplies electrons or takes them away. I always get mixed up. But uh, it's the idea that in the presence uh, <clears throat> in water, when you put a, 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 a surface like that in it, in the water, 
uh, and they put little micro beads in the water so you can see what's going on. So in other words, if these water molecules are joining together and pushing impurities out, you should see no, none of these micro beads in that area. These micro beads mm -hmm. would be like really, really small, uh, but you'd see them elsewhere but not in the, in the gel, in the easy zone. So they could see this under a microscope, and not even under a microscope in certain instances, that this uh, exclusion zone would, would, would increase, and it would increase more when you shone uh, infrared light on it. And when they created the same surface, this uh, hydrophilic surface, uh, I think it was called Nafion, when they made it into tubules, and they shone light in it, they noticed that the water would flow through it spontaneously. So okay. light was causing the water to move through this, through this uh, really small tube. The whole point of this is that light, our body is filled of small spaces. Yeah. Uh, and all, all biological surfaces, I believe, are hydrophilic. So they are creating uh, these these energy zones mm. they're pushing out the solutes and when uh, on one side of it it's 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 uh, neutral on the other side you get an electric charge because you're you're pushing all these things out they're aligning each other up they're no longer random so you get uh, a voltage difference of about 100 millivolts which happens to be the same as the electric potential on a cell membrane which is quite interesting mm. but uh, this kind of this might also explain like where an infrared sauna might be good healthy because it gets the lymph system to flow much better because you're yeah. shining the light causing this uh, a greater flow through but it might also explain how we are getting energy in our bodies directly from our surrounding heat hmm. um, which may explain things like uh, breatharians people who uh who claim to live on the earth without having eaten anything in years. Yeah. That's, that's um, kind of fascinating. I've heard about that too. Yeah. And some people say there's 3000 people, you know, I've looked at it and some people, you know, they say, oh, they cheated and all this, but forgetting all that aside, easy water, what water does, yeah. it most definitely uh, becomes an engine of power mm. by reconfiguring itself. Are, are mainstream scientists looking into this now, or yeah. is this fringe? Well, well these, there are scientists like looking into this. Yes, there is. There's, there are far and few. Um, it, it, this is mainstream, um, but there is, there is science being done in this. Uh, mm. And, and I, I quote the water conference, all the people at the water conference. Yeah. Um, mm. And so there was uh, some people coming up with uh, lots of uh, quantum theories of what water does and how it behaves. Um, and, and when water spins too, um, I had to connect that with up homeopathy, what was going on. Yeah. That might be a, yeah. a, a, a whole other thing. But the Russians in spinning, they used to talk about uh, torsion fields. And torsion fields would have extra dimensional properties where they would use torsion fields to communicate across great distances. Uh, mm -hmm. And what's a torsion field? It's a field that comes from any spinning object. Um, and, and there's another thing that people don't realize that when something spins, it self magnetizes. Okay. 
so for a long time, you have mechanical uh, engineers and physicists looking at spinning objects, defining them in terms of particles rotating, mm. completely ignoring an electrical aspect that itself magnetizes. Now, when you couple those two together, when you spin, you get electrical charge. And then you get electrical charge if it's on the Earth. You're also in a magnetic field. You get all these other electrical effects that yeah. propagate much further than the field itself because you, do, you can deal with potentials and all this other stuff, higher dimensional yeah. stuff. So the whole world opens up into this hugely connected uh, thing. And water is at the basis of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's getting a bit technical here, but uh, well, yeah. as I say, water is at the basis of it, and water everyone understands water. So, I think that's really fascinating to to think of water as this almost magical sub substance that has these properties. So, but maybe the EZ water that we're talking about is not directly applicable to homeopathy, but or maybe indirectly. Uh, anyway, uh, you you've seen firsthand that that it really works, uh, and how have you? done that i mean you're a practitioner so you've seen on your patients that 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 it heals them yeah i'm, I'm yeah myself um <clears throat> my father um he was not doing so well about 11 years ago um he was on xanax and uh okay i put him in touch with somebody and uh homeopath he was offered in six weeks and uh he's um because he was, yeah, I'm criticizing a pharmaceutical drug here. <clears throat> um, but, it, <laughs> yes. but it's like anything, you know, mm. it's, it's, how it's, it's how it's used. And it wasn't suiting them as, uh, at all well because mm. uh, it suppresses anxiety and then it pops up again. That's one of yeah. the difficulties I've heard from people. So once you're on it, it's hard to, hard to get off it because you need it to keep everything at bay. Uh, and if you don't, then it all comes up again, the anxiety. But, so, but maybe the main problem was that he was <laughs> taking this this uh, pharmaceutical uh, drug. Uh, and maybe, I mean, but you say that you, you replaced that with some homeopathic um, treatment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's been, he's been doing it for 11 years. He still takes his remedy and he shakes mm -hmm. the bottle and it's just ever so little every day and he's uh completely at peace with himself now yeah okay. he's uh Sounds nice. 80 88 um okay. and uh he reads eric tolle now and mm. uh if i'm pronouncing his, his name right e uh, eric tolle yeah yeah power yeah, now yeah yeah so it, he, my father was a professor of engineering all very technical and now he's got to this very spiritual aspect of things. It's never too late. <laughs> yeah, never too late. And he embraces things. And, uh, you know, when you, when you have anxiety, you tend to abandon yourself. Now he's accepting. Uh, he meditates. All this sort of stuff. And I was going, wow, this is great. Now, yeah. is it all homeopathy? Probably not. But it did make a difference. I did see yeah. it. There's other supporting factors, too. But... Yeah, and and there's life. It's never just one thing. Uh, just like illness doesn't come from one thing. You're predisposed because mm. your system's weak or whatever, and then something comes on. So yeah. in the same sense, so I've seen that. Um, just uh, you know, earlier earlier on, I'm just thinking of a friend. I was down having a cup of coffee, and he hurt his back, and he would, oh homeopathy, oh homeopathy, no 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 no, just take one. Can I? 
And he was drinking with his coffee. And usually you try to keep them separate. Yeah. But I said, no, no, we're going in. So I, I said, try this remedy. And he went up to get the milk or something. And I know he came back and he got a new, he did this move when he went, it's gone. It's like <laughs> Really? Yeah. That's, 30 seconds. That's, that's <clears throat> wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But I've also had lots of times I go, no, nothing happened. Nothing happened. There's, there's, there's that because uh, I may not be prescribing correctly. And it becomes, they say it's more difficult to prescribe for yourself mm. uh, because you have a view of yourself that may be different than the reality. Yeah, that's true. Where, and I, I'm not going to yeah. criticize your methods or homeopathy or, or anything like, like that now, but, but you know as well as I do that, that the thing called placebo, the placebo effect is, is powerful because it's, I mean, it's what it is, is, is the self-healing ability that we have. Uh, which I think is a, is a wonderful thing. So I, I think you shouldn't ridicule placebo effect. So, I mean, if you believe in what you're, that what you're doing is going to help you, if you truly mm. believe it, I mean, in your heart, you're, you're, you're convinced, you can almost see yourself as a healthy mm. person, as a vision, then you, will, then you will get healthy. That's my conviction. That's it. They say the most medicinal forms are 30% placebo. Yeah, yeah, I've heard and, that too, yeah. And, and, and so, but you can imagine if you give a pill, whatever it is, and say, you're going to die in three weeks, are you going to be better in three weeks? I mean, the feelings that come with it, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's very important because how you, how you deliver, even in how you give a remedy, is part of the medicine. It is, yeah. It you is. know, and, and what's interesting in homeopathy sometimes, uh, you know, during class you're saying oh yeah but what if the patient comes in late and stuff like that and they go well that's all part of who they are you know look at the bigger picture don't say oh they're late and i won't have enough time to do their case no no that's a valuable it is uh, symptom as it were or or if they always wear black or something what's 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 going on you know so it's everything is good as it were you can read everything into it it's not like oh that's not right no no you just look at it from a different perspective and, and exactly. that's what's fascinating about And homeopathy can also be used for um, agriculture and plants with mm -hmm. almost the same symptomology, um, meaning that uh, I'm not too good at the agrohomeopathy, but if the agrohomeopathy, let's say, has red spots and is very thirsty uh, and, it, and, and it, it might be a remedy like belladonna, I'm not sure. But if a person has red spots and thirsty and, and you might give them the same remedy. Yeah. So it's not like a completely different drug. It's based on, on the same energies that are being presented, the same underlying issue. And it doesn't matter if it's a person or, or, or whatever. It's a living organism that responds. Yeah, and and it's I, all I mean, energy anyway at, at the core. Yeah, of exactly. And so when you, when you root everything in energy and vibration, uh, this doesn't seem so strange anymore. Even the fact that remedies have no molecules in them, they don't mm. need to. They're recording the information in their configuration, their molecular configuration. Mm. That might be one way of thinking of it. Do you think mainstream medicine is getting there uh, eventually? I think, um, I, I, I think it needs to come off its horse. It's, 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 I, I think it's realizing that it's coming to a roadblock. Uh, having said that, you know, the diagnostic tools in medicine are, you know, are just incredible. 
And if you have a broken leg, uh, you know, you put it in a splint before you take a homeopathic remedy. Yeah. However, <laughs> however, if you take the homeopathic remedy, your bone might heal quicker. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, you, need to, you need to see where one is used and where the other is used. And that's how you get the best match. Um, because if you just, uh, you know, do diagnostics and you have pharmaceuticals, I see pharmaceutical as being a large chemical dose that pushes a certain type of response. Whereas homeopathy, it's a bit of information in which the body chooses to respond to or not. So one is where you're supporting the body, giving it what it needs to become stronger, where the other one is just forcing a chemical reaction within the body to get a reaction, whether that's suppression. Sometimes it's good to suppress the body reaction so that the body can go heal itself. So that's, mm. it, it's not all bad in how it's used. But I think where it's, its big problem is in the chronic administration of pharmaceuticals to manage one's health. Yeah. I don't want my health managed. I want to be better. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. You know, I want to reach, mm. I want to reach a level of cure. I want to reach a level mm. of, of having gone beyond it. Um, mm. And so I think, of course, there's lots of money to be made in selling drugs every week or whenever they need to be and not. Yeah. That's a problem that. in itself. Yeah. And so, you know, is there some guy at the top who's, you know, <laughs> Counting his money and his rings. No, I don't think that. I think it's a collective. Mm. Uh, it's just the way things are, and it's also yeah. part of us as a society is to rein that in. Mm. Uh, it's, it's in the walls. It's been like that for for a long time. So difficult to think in a different way. Yeah, yeah. But at least the the English word for this thing is is better than the Swedish because you 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 say healthcare, which is good because it's about caring about your health. But in Swedish, it's actually sick care. Sick care. <laughs> so, That's probably yeah. more. <laughs> we are, yeah because it's that's what mainstream medicine mostly is doing it's it's caring seeing to it that you're sick all the time so you can buy these drugs uh, i'm a bit cynical about it but uh yeah this has been a fascinating and 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 super interesting conversation i think we can go on for hours but maybe you can come back on the on the show so we can continue talking about you know all these other things i wanted to ask you about the the technology development and ai and things like that but i i think it will go too a little bit too far this time but finally i just wanted to for you to summarize a little bit what what drives you in this work that you do and what do you want to convey to the world big question but if you have some kind of a summarizing idea what what it is that's driving you here yeah what motivates me um I, I want people to know this and that might not be for the most altruistic reason to be honest, but maybe because I see it as if, if, if humans are aware of who they are and their relationship to nature, then they will treat it better and they will make their lives better, but it'll also make my life better. Okay. So I take a selfish <laughs> viewpoint on it. Uh, and, 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 but that ties in, I think sometimes you have to be really selfish to be able to give fully in, in the sense that uh, you're not doing it for anybody else's opinion. You're not doing it for anything extraneous. You're doing it because of what you really feel inside. 
I don't know if selfish is the right word, but it's coming from sense uh, of purpose. It's, yeah. And, and so I don't mind if it's called selfish because it gets me off, uh, off, off that high horse of trying to be a do-gooder, um, <laughs> you know, and change the world for better. No, I just want to leave nature alone, understand it. Everything will come. Uh, once people center themselves, they will know what to do. I, I, I really believe that people, once they connect, they know what is right, what is wrong. It's in uh, them, yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be, uh, and, it, and what's right and wrong for you can be different from right and wrong from another person. But for you, you know what your right and wrong is, and that's what you must go for. That's what you must do. So that's my motivation. Um, and then there was a second part to that question. Well, what do you want to convey to the world? It's about, I guess, it's the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that we can know the truth and, and things are simpler than they, than they appear to be. Use Occam's razor. Usually things are not that complicated. They shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, that's a I philosophical to... term, Occam's razor. Yeah, so to never complicate things more than is necessary or something, something like that. Yeah, it, it's something like uh, the, shortest, the shortest path is a straight line or something okay. like that. Yeah. I've forgotten the actual definition, but it's something just cut to the chase. Don't go around in a, a, yeah. all over the place trying to get it. Just, just if it's a duck, call it a duck. You know, this sort of thing. If it quacks mm. like a duck and it smells like a duck, whatever it is, it must be a probably duck. Probably is a duck, yeah. It probably is a duck. So stop beating around. And I, I think we have all that capacity. And I think that's the capacity that we must learn as individuals in this time. I think the whole transformative energies that are on the earth right now um not to see them as out to get you but as a wonderful opportunity uh to connect to that deeper level within and when you do that you connect to the deeper level without throughout the whole and uh that also gives you a sense of peace uh, wonderful wonderful carl and where can people now find your book and your podcast okay uh my book is uh uh, nature's twist water and the spirals of life and that's an amazon okay uh, you can get them in, in in both the uk and in the states uh and my podcast is made in nature podcast and i can be on facebook and i'm also in the moment doing a website by the same name uh it's not up but it should be very soon that's uh www.madeinnature.com Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Carl, so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Anders. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope to do it again sometime. Thank you. I hope to. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.